Uh, for those of you who have not been here for a while, that's the last book in the Bible. Amen, amen. I'm going to ask them to give me a little bit more juice, just a little bit more. And beginning in verse 18. Actually, I want to start in verse 17, and that's a little too much. Verse 17. Are you with me? And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. Let us pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we're grateful to be here in this place. Now, Spirit of God, have your way. Amen. 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 Got a special amen corner. Amen. It's good to have Seth, his wife, beautiful April, Amber. How about that? Amen. Oh, Lord. I worked on that one, too. I got, I, I got it real wrong. You look beautiful, dear. Amen, amen, amen. Seth, Seth must be doing something right. Amen. It's, you think, okay, maybe, maybe not. Okay, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Real wrong. I'm good for that. You all know me. You all know me. That's, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not even feeling bad. She knows I love her. When I was... Um, in the ninth grade, I had a life-changing experience that I did not expect. I was in an all-boys section at Strawberry Mansion in the North Philadelphia hood where I grew up. And our English teacher stood in front of our class and he says, I'm scheduling a field trip for you animal, oh no, for you students <laughs> to go to the movie in Center City, Philadelphia. Oh, that was special. That meant a whole day away from school. He said, all you need is a permission slip signed by your parents and the money to pay for the cost of the movie. Now, what was strange about this offer is the principal, our, our teacher never told us the name of the movie we were going to see. So on the day of the movie, we got on our yellow big brick road bus. Big banana, yes, sir. You know that you're all about that. We're making our way downtown. And my classmates, we all started to argue about what we're gonna see. Some said we're gonna see the night of the living dead. Others say, nah, nah, Rosemary, Rosemary's baby. And then the other movie that had just come out was uh Dracula rises from the grave. 
So we all going back and forth about the movie we're going to see. Rosemary's baby, no, the night of the living dead, no, Dracula rises from the dead. So we pull up in front of the movie, and to our shock and amazement, the name of the movie that we had been scheduled to see was Romeo and Juliet. Oh <laughs> you talking about some upset brothers from the hood. The teacher literally had to force us to get off the bus. And he said, you're not getting your money back. So we grudgingly made our way into the theater to watch Romeo and Juliet. But something peculiar happened kind of towards at the end of the movie. I looked around because I kept hearing some snippets. I want you to know that every one of those dudes, along with me, mostly them, were crying their eyes out. Now, if you know the Shakespearean account of Romeo and Juliet, these were two lovers, forbidden lovers. They were part of warring families that hated each other for decades. But when Romeo and Juliet met, they had no idea that they were part of a warring faction of families who were constantly feuding and engaging in violence and murder and treachery. So when they found out that they were from different families, they realized that they would never be allowed to be married and spend their lives together. And so Juliet came up with this bright idea. I know how I can spend the rest of my life with Romeo. And so she concocts this idea where she's going to drink poison that will cause her to go in a comatose state for a period of several days. And it will appear that she is dead. Now she had a letter written to, a note written to uh, Romeo so that he would know that it was all a farce and that she was gonna wake up and when she woke up, they would be able to get together, elope and spend the rest of their lives together happily ever after. Of course, Romeo never got the note. Don't start crying, okay? the story's not over. So anyway, Romeo hears that Juliet has died. He rushes to the place where she's lying in state, and he sees the love of his life deceased. Rather than go on with life without her, he decides he's going to drink poison. He drinks poison, real poison. And as he's dying, Juliet wakes up. And she realizes that he thought she was dying because he never got the note. And now that he's dying, she decides she would rather not live without him, so she takes a knife. And don't, I'm not trying to give anybody any ideas. Don't love anybody like that, y'all. And so the both of them die. The ones we like, the, happy ever, the happily ever after ending didn't occur. Now all these, big, these brothers in there crying and sniffling and trying to act like they're holding it together. That, that story changed my life. I never thought I was going to see somebody shot up, sexed up. I was looking for, you know, what I was used to. I want you to know that 2,000 years ago, on the outskirts of the city of Jerusalem, there was a scene, a place for people who were executed for crimes against the state. 
Jesus was accused of being a conspirator by the Jews, a blasphemer, because he claimed to be equal with God. About nine in the morning, they hung, they, they nailed Jesus to a cross, his hands and his feet, and they hoisted that cross into the earth, and Jesus hung there from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the afternoon. For six hours, he hung there, and he, he died. He died. Now, this wasn't like Romeo and Juliet. He wasn't faking death. He actually died. And even though he had given the disciples a note, if you go to John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus said, if you tear down this temple, you kill me, I will raise it up in three days. They forgot to read the note. And so when his followers saw that Jesus had died on the cross, in their minds, it was over. And so they fled and they forsook Christ, and the enemies of Jesus, the foes of Christ, they concluded that this false prophet had finally come to his justful and right end. He died. They didn't read the note. And what we discover when we come to the book of Revelation in chapter 1 is that this Jesus who once was dead, hung on the cross, died for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for you and me. Remained in the tomb for three days, just like he said. And he rose again. Listen, listen to the words. He says, I am he who is alive and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I am in. I got some keys now keys to hell and to death. He's alive. What about you? What about you? Have you read the notes in the word of God? When we come to Revelation chapter 1, we are invited by the Holy Spirit of God to witness an account that occurs between the last of the surviving 12 apostles and Jesus, the risen Savior. John, the beloved disciple, we learn in verse 12 that he is exiled on an island called Patmos because of the profession of his faith. And so he's the last of the surviving Apostles, kind of different from what everybody's calling themselves today, but from a biblical apostle. And so Jesus says to John, he says, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I, I, I wonder if he's alive in your life today, if you understand the implications of what it means for somebody who was dead, a loved one who has passed away, somebody that you believed in, a casket that you, you stood over, a, a casket that was lowered into the earth. And then three days later, 
they're standing at your door saying, hi. Somebody say, I don't know. But the Jesus that would be standing at your door is not the one who was crucified. This is the one now who has been glorified. As the Bible says, we too, like him, will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. This mortal body shall take on immortality. This body of corruption shall take on incorruption. Now, even though the passage that I read to you starts in verses 17 and 18 in terms of being the central thought of what we want to focus on today, he's alive, what about you? It really is the end to the beginning. In order to understand why John the apostle responded to Jesus the way that he did, the Bible said he fell on his face as a dead man. When he saw Jesus, I imagine if you really fully understood to the degree that we should what the resurrection means for us, we would spend more time on our face and less time with our shoulders reared back as if we are really, really in control of anything. So what we discover as we as we make our way back into the chapter, we discover the purpose for which the book of Revelation the word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, apocalypsis. You'll soon forget that. But it means to unveil, to reveal, to demonstrate, to show. And so verses 1 through 2 talks about the purpose of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is an unveiling, it's a revealing, it's a demonstration, a manifestation of the person and the work of Jesus from, the, from when time began in eternity past, before there was ever a clock, before there was ever history, before there was ever space, Jesus existed in the form of God. And he did not regard becoming equal with God something that he had to earn because he was always God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the scripture says in verse 13 of John chapter 1, and the word became flesh. And he dwelled among us. And we beheld the glory of the only unique Mogo Gunes, the only unique, the only one of his kind, only one of his rank. We beheld his glory. And so the purpose is to unveil, to reveal Jesus' person and work from eternity past until the eternal state, that is a period of time where time as we know it ceases to exist, but time never ends. And so the book of Revelation is about that. It is a book that was written in the past about the future for present day living. And so we see the purpose. The purpose of the book of Revelation helps us to understand what it means that Jesus was resurrected and why that's so significant. Resurrection means, we don't hear that word often, we see it in movies, etc., but resurrection has to do with bodily returning or coming back to life after you have died. Physical coming back to life after you have died. Jesus is the resurrection. So the purpose is to unveil that, to, to, to make it clear that he who once was dead is now alive. But he always lived because he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Are you still with me? 
And then in verse 3, he makes a unique promise uh, to those who read the book of Revelation. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Are you, do you have your Bible with you? He says in verse 3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, this apocalypsis, who hear the words and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near, the end is near, the end of the end is near. And so he says, the promise is this, there's a special blessing to those who read the book of Revelation. I still get terrified when I read it. I've been saved for a long time. I don't plan to be here when, when all this stuff happens, but to think of what's going to happen. But he said, blessed are those who read the book of Revelation, hear it being read, but most importantly, there's a special blessing if you obey it because the time, the time is near. And then he moves from talking about the purpose of the book, the promise that the book brings to those who obey, who, who hear and read. Now he gives the proof for why we can believe that Jesus is really the resurrected Lord. And I want to share with you three reasons why we can have full confidence that Jesus is the resurrected Lord. Are you still with me? In verses 4 through 8, I'm not going to read all the verses, but the first point that I want to share with you regarding that is the authority of the authors of the words recorded in Revelation, the book of Revelation, is the reason why we can trust in the revealed truth about the resurrected Christ. The authors of this book, the author, the reason we can trust that Jesus has rose from the dead is because who authorized the book? Stay with me. We're going somewhere. Amen. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. 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 Verse 4 says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, say his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Just stopping right there. We are introduced to the three authors who give credence to the book of Revelation regarding the, the, the resurrection of Jesus. The first author that we can have full confidence in, he refers, he said, to him who was and is and always shall be. That's God the Father. I can trust what's in this book about Jesus because the author is none other than God the Father. And he said, then to the seven spirits, that is the, the, the whole, seven represents completion and perfection, and so it represents here the perfection and the completion of the Holy Spirit, who is omnipresent in the, in the presence of God. And so he says, and the seven spirits, the Holy Spirit, is also authorizing or giving authority to what is recorded in the book. So God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and then he says, he says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, 
And so the three authorities behind what is recorded that can cause us to trust what is written is none other than the divine trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, back up the truth and the proof that Jesus really rose. Now I want you to, to notice some specific things since we're emphasizing the fact that Jesus is alive and the question is, are you, have you received him, do you know him? Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again a second time from above, you cannot see, you cannot comprehend the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not, I say to you, you must be born again because we were born in sin Dead in our trespass, we need to be made alive. And the way we're made alive is through this one who's the author of the scripture, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But the person that gives us that access, as the scripture says, neither is there any other name given unto men whereby we must be saved. None other than who? Jesus. Say that like you mean it. Jesus. Now, the blessing is that he says four things about Jesus that are very, very important as we move it. We move it. The first thing that is said about Jesus is that he is the faithful witness. This one who was dead but now alive and never will die again. He is the faithful witness. And what that means is he is a faithful witness because he has never broken or gone back on his word. Jesus is the, is the Savior, the only one who can save us because he lived a sinless, perfect life. The Bible says we have not a high priest who cannot be sympathetic toward our weaknesses, but he was tempted in all points, like we, without sin. Amen. Amen. I'm losing my equipment here. Amen. I'm really losing this equipment. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You still with me? Amen. Amen. We're going to switch up. Amen. Praise the Lord. So he's the faithful and true witness because he's never sinned. He has never sinned. We, not, we have a high priest. He was tempted just like you and I, but he has never sinned. He has never sinned. Not only is he a faithful and true witness, but he's the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And now he's talking about something unique about the resurrection of Christ that's different from all the other resurrections that had occurred prior to Jesus and even the ones that he performed. One of the things that is unique about Jesus' bodily resurrection that makes salvation possible for us is that every resurrection prior to Jesus's, before the person was brought back to life that was dead, a prayer had to be offered. Elijah prayed over the, the widow's son before God gave him breath in his body again. Peter prayed over Dorcas before she was resurrected. Jesus prayed at the tomb of Lazarus before Lazarus came forth, having been dead for four days. So Jesus is resurrected. He's the firstborn. His, his resurrection is different from all the other resurrections. Not only is Jesus' resurrection different because he didn't have to pray, he said, I'm going to take, you can, you can kill me, but I am going to raise, cause this body to be raised again. So he resurrected his own body without prayer. But his resurrection is unique because he is the first person who came back to life never to die again. Everybody else who was resurrected had to go and die again. 
We always think, oh, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Praise the Lord. I'm thinking, Lazarus, I was in heaven. Why I won't come back here? I love my family and men. It was nice to go to fellowship and church with folks, but I, I got to go through this again? And so Lazarus, Jesus is the only one who rose from the dead, never to die again. But there's a third unique thing about the resurrection of Jesus. He didn't have to pray. He rose never to die again. But he is the prototype. He's the template for all resurrections that are to follow. He's the first fruit. I like the way John puts it, and I shared this on last week, John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He said, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. We are the children of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But when we see the resurrected Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and we're going to be like Jesus. You're talking about a great reveal. We're going to be like Jesus, and so he is the firstborn of the dead. He is, he is the faithful witness, but he also is going, he is the ruler over all the kings of the earth. The Bible, Jesus said after he was resurrected from the dead. And this is unique. After the resurrection of Jesus, he said, all power and authority on, in heaven and in earth has been given to me. And it has been given to Jesus in a unique sense because even though Jesus existed as God before he took on human form, what was unique about him receiving something he didn't have is because he didn't have all power and authority as a human being, as a fit. So when he took on human form, his name, the Bible says that God gave him a name. How could you give him a name that was any greater than what he already had? What made his name greater than what he already had is he took on the form of a servant. And now the Lord adds to his title, not only servant, but Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Stay with me. Another thing that is said about Jesus is that he's coming back. He's coming back. He says, behold, he is coming in with a cloud, and every eye will see him. And even those who pierced him, who put him to death, all of the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Here, John is referring to the fact that when Jesus was, after he had taught the disciples before death, I'm teaching y'all because we don't know the Bible. Now, our church does, but we haven't taught folk the Bible. That's why when bad stuff happens, we fall apart. That's why we don't have an, a reason for the hope that is within us. We haven't learned the Bible. I can make you shout. I can make you shake a leg. I ain't trying to make you shake no leg. I'm trying to help you to understand because the Word of God works. As Jesus... In Acts chapter 1, having taught for 40 days on the mountain of Olive, he began to ascend into heaven. And the disciples were looking at Jesus as he was rising up into heaven. And two angels appeared and they said, why are you standing here gazing? Why are you stunned? He said, because the same Jesus, in the same manner that he's rising into heaven, he's going to return. How did he go up in bodily form? And the scripture says, every eye, every eye, every eye shall see him. When he comes through the clouds to do judgment upon the earth, even those who slew him.
they shall see him. And so we can trust what the book of Revelation reveals about Jesus is because the authority behind it is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I had a buddy in the eighth grade named David Carter. We were in music class, which was very close to the principal's office. Mm-hmm. Say hallelujah. On this particular day, we had a substitute. The substitute was not having a good day. He had that brother speaking in tongues. But we had an unexpected visitor. Mr. Gillespie, the meanest, if his cousin must have been said, the meanest man on the planet was the principal of our school. He was walking to his office and he overheard what we were doing to that poor substitute. God bless him. Mr. Gillespie came in looking like Mr. Gillespie. <laughs> Everybody, just think, nobody wanted to be on the same side of the hallway as him. That, he just looked mean. And he gave us a, a strong warning. Then as he was leaving, one of the students, David Carter said, get out of here, you meathead. He had a meathead too, y'all. <laughs> he really did. Mr. Gillespie turned around. He came back in the room. He said, who said that? David Carter said, I did. Mr. Gillespie proceeded to go to where David was seated. He didn't ask him to stand. No, he was too polite to do that. He just drug him by the collar of his shirt. Oh, yeah, he hit every step. The, 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 this was a studio. So he was like on the highest level of the studio, and he drug him down every step. And then he got him outside, and you could just hear him hitting the wall. Boom, boom, boom. You thought somebody was dropping bombs. That was the last time we saw David Carter at our school. He didn't die. But the principal's words had authority. When he said be quiet or else, he had the ability to back it up. So we didn't play with the principal. David played with the principal and it caused him bodily harm and expulsion. I want you to know that we can trust the word of God. No, he's not Mr. Gillespie, but he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In this word, he says, shall not return unto me empty, but it shall prosper where unto I send it. This word has authority because God, the Father, God, the Holy Spirit, and God, the Son, back it up. But here's something else that gives us proof that Jesus, in fact, is who he said he is, the resurrected Savior. It's the current blessings that we have already received 
since we have been made alive. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy we have been saved through the washing and the renewing and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. We have been made alive through the Holy Spirit by the mercy and the grace of God. And here's the proof he says in verse 8, I believe. He says, to him who loved, verse 5, to him who loved us, he loved you first. We didn't deserve it. We could never earn it. He loved us first. And the proof of his love, the scripture says, he has freed us from our sins by his blood. While we were yet without strength, God proved how much he loved you and me by sending the best that he had to die, to die, to die. And so the blessing is that we have been, we have been cleansed from the penalty of sin. The price has been paid in full, counseled out by the shed blood of Christ. Not only are we free from the sin, but we have been, the power of sin's control has been broken. I no longer have to be a slave to sin because of the, the Holy Spirit who lives in me makes it possible. So I've been cleansed from sin. The chain of sin has been broken as regard, in regards to its power. He said, and you also are now been made a kingdom of priests to serve God and our Father. We have a new relationship with God. We are a kingdom of priests in the world that represent the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible calls us ambassadors for Christ. And so each one of us, you don't have to be a pastor or a deacon or an elder or a preacher. You simply need to belong to Jesus. That makes you a priest. Because there's only one mediator, one real priest between God and man, and that man is Christ Jesus. I'm sorry if you're down at the Catholic Church right now. I'm sorry you bow in front of Mother Mary, but here's what the Bible says. There's only one mediator, one mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus. But you and me, through Jesus, we have become a nation of priests who represent Christ in the world. My relationship with Christ has changed. Several months ago, I had a bad morning. I got up. I could not remember my password for my phone. And it would not recognize my handsome face. I, I don't know what was wrong with that phone. I, I must have tried accessing my phone, I don't know how many times I tried, until it finally said, you is locked out. And so I, I, I realized that I was going to have to take it back in to Sprint and T-Mobile. Lord, don't have to ever, in the history of mankind, go into the store to get something done. So I go in, and they said, well, sir, we will open your phone for you, but we will take it back to the factory, uh, the, yeah, we, we, the factory, whatever, you know, we're going to go back to the way it was when you first got it. Everything that you have saved will be erased, erased. 
So I pray. I mean, I call Brandon. <laughs> he said, Dad. I said, what, son? He said, take your time, and you're probably only missing. He's always so calm. <laughs> I'm about to pull my hair out with little I got left. Dad. Raise your voice or something, boy. Don't you feel this anxiety? Take your time, Dad. You're probably only missing a number or something. So I had one last chance before I was totally locked out. And guess what? Bam! Bam! In Jesus' name, everything that was, I was locked out to became available to me because I got the code right. I want you to know because he first loved you. And we have access to God through him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father except through my code, through me. But when I access God through the code called Jesus, everything that belongs to him belongs to me. The proof, the proof is based on the authority of those who authorize the word. The proof is also based on what I've already received. Let me close with this. The power of being in the presence of the resurrected Christ causes John to worship. One of the beautiful things that is happening as a result of our first 15 minutes of prayer every morning at 6 o'clock to 6.15, folks have gotten loose in praise. Folks have learned through our experience of how to get into the face of God, into the presence of God. And what happens whenever you find yourself in the presence of deity, you aren't standing anymore. This ain't no eye contact. This is your face on the ground. This is your energy being zapped from you, but you ain't hurting. You're just being held down by the power of the Holy Ghost. Have you ever experienced that? And so here we have in these last verses, beginning in verse 9. I'm not going to read all the verses, y'all, because everybody ain't used to reading a whole bunch of Bible verses, right? But we read that John, the beloved disciple, he says, I was exiled on the island of Patmos, and I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he said, when I was in the Spirit, so the, in order to be in the Spirit, you got to be saved. <laughs> you got to know Jesus. You got to be alive. You got to be alive spiritually. He was not only saved, but he was said, he was set, he said, he was in the Spirit. He was spirit Filled. He was controlled by the Spirit of God. You know how it is when you high on something and your, your mental status is altered. He said, I was altered in my mental and emotional status because I was drunk in the Spirit. You ever been drunk in the Spirit? 
If you've been drunk in the spirit, when you think about the resurrection, you ought to praise him right now. You need some Christians who know how to get drunk in the Lord, who know how to really get inebriated in the Holy Spirit, who don't have to drink any libations. All you got to do is think about the goodness of the Lord and all that he's done for you. Somebody ought to praise him right now. Did he wake you up this morning? Did he rescue you and set you free? All you ought to praise him right now. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And he had set a time aside on the Lord's Day. You ought to set some time aside on the Lord's Day to be in God's house. That ought to be a priority. There's nothing like being in the presence of other believers because the Lord said where two or three are gathered in my name. Things are loosed and things are bound. As he was in the spirit, he said, I heard a loud voice that sounded like trumpets. A loud voice. He heard a loud voice. And he said, I looked and I saw someone who looked like the son of man. That's the title that Jesus used for himself. And, and, and so he, he, he thought it was Jesus, but he wasn't sure because the description of the one he saw, he had a robe that came down to his ankles, a sash that crossed his chest, and all of that made sense. And he said he had hair that was like wool and was as white as wool and it was thick. And he said, oh, I know he's black now. No, 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 no. So he's still seeing a man. And he said he had feet that were like polished bronze. He's still trying to figure this out. He's just, he looked like the son of man, but I ain't never seen him with polished bronze feet. I ain't never seen him with hair that is white as wool. And then it gets really weird. He said he had eyes like flames of fire. And he said out of his mouth came a two-edged sword. So what John is describing is something more than a mere man. That's why he fell on his face. So he heard the voice. He turned to see what it was, but he didn't understand. But here's where it gets good. <laughs> I'm so glad he rose. I'm so, oh, he rose. How do you know he rose? The Jesus said, I am he. The one that he talked about in previous verses was God who's saying, I am he that was and will always be. Now Jesus said, I am. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And then here's how he knew he was. He said, he touched me with his right hand. Oh, a spirit can't touch you. You can't see a spirit. But he said, he touched me with his right hand. And he said, be not, be not afraid. Be not afraid. I want you to know that Jesus is alive. And he's alive. And then he said, let me explain to you that I, yes, I am deity, but I'm also humanity. I have always lived. I died. And now I live again and I'm living in this physical form, never to die again. The resurrected Christ. The resurrected Christ. And, and he said, here's what you ought to do about this, John. You, you don't need to be afraid. He didn't tell him to stop worshiping. You need to keep worshiping the one who's standing before you who was dead and is now alive. You need to start understanding that we're not worthy. He deserves all of our praise and all of our honor. You need to practice being prostrate before the Lord. 
You don't have to be a Muslim to lay prostrate before the Lord. Because there is a way that's seen right unto man. But the end of that way is the way of death. That ain't getting you into heaven. But when you have seen the God of heaven, the Lord of heaven, it'll put you on your face. The scripture says that Jesus told John, write this down about what you have seen, about what is happening and what is to come. And the message to us is what should we do in response to Jesus? Not only should we worship him, but we should witness for him what he has recorded on the tablets of our heart. We ought to be telling everybody that the Savior lives. The Savior lives. Aren't you glad he lives today? Has he written on your heart the good news concerning I once was dead? Somebody say, I once was dead. But now I am alive. The Christ of the scriptures is now. He is now. He is now alive. Never to die. He's got the keys of death and hell. He can speak and a man will die. Speak again in that same man will live again, and the man who lived again when he dies again. Jesus has the power to determine where you spend eternity. Alfred Hitchcock, as we close, one of my favorite short story novelists. Some of you know him, if you're young enough. But there's a story in an episode called, I believe, The Final Chapter. Stand with me. The Final Chapter. Oh, The Final Escape. A man named John Perry was caught, judged, and sentenced to 15 years in jail. And as they were leading him off to prison, he swore to his lawyer and to the judges that he is, he, I'm going to escape and I will kill all of you. So they took him away to prison. And while he was in prison, he met an older gentleman named Doc. And Doc worked in the infirmity and, and one of the things that Doc was responsible for was if somebody died, Doc put them in the casket, rolled their casket out to the graveyard, and he was one of the, 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 the prisoners who buried those who had died in jail. Doc had a granddaughter who needed a major operation, and John Perry had money. And so he made a deal with John Perry. He said, if you give me the money to help my daughter, my granddaughter, get her surgery, I will help you to escape. And here's the plan. The next person that dies, I'm going to put you in the casket beside them. And when the bell tolls, I'm going to walk you out to the grave, along with the other prison workers, going to lower you into the grave. And when the guards and the other prisoners leave, I'm going to dig you up from the grave, and you can escape. The night finally came. John Perry was excited. He couldn't wait. Doc put him inside the casket. They lowered the casket into the ground. Everything was going well until about 10 minutes passed. Now 15 minutes, 20 minutes have passed, and Doc hasn't 
done anything to remove the dirt from the casket. And so he, he's getting a little nervous, getting a little scared. And so Don Perry decided about 30 minutes in, as this thing had gotten long, he strikes a match. And he looks over at the man who has died. And the man who was dead in the casket with him was Doc. Doc didn't plan to die. The man that he was trusting to get him out of the grave couldn't keep himself from dying. So now he's in this grave, he's dying in the, in the grave with the man who was supposed to save. Who are you trusting to get you out of the grave? I want you to understand that he who once was dead and now is alive is the, is the one who is the resurrection and the life. And he, he alone can give you victory over death and the grave. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you that we have the free gift of eternity.